Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. It's November 1st, 1755, 9.40 a.m. in Lisbon, Portugal. It's All Saints Day and churches are gathered together as we are worshiping. And in that moment, a great earthquake hits. And, and as this earthquake strikes, 30 churches are destroyed. In the midst of the panic, the people run out of the churches and run to the ships there at the dock to try to get on them to escape all that's happening, only for three tsunami waves to now come and wipe over them. In the midst of the earthquake and all the turbulation and everything that happened, there were many fires in the homes that had been left burning, candles or things where they had been cooking, and now they all turned over. Many of them began to turn over and homes began to burn. Estimates are anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 people died in one of Europe's greatest tragedies. Raymond Ortland shares in his commentary on Isaiah about the philosopher Voltaire in France. He saw this as proof that no reasonable person could believe that God actually existed. Because in a state, how could a good and all-powerful God create a world like this, especially one where His own people are killed? And for what? The German scholar Gottfried, he responds back and he says, this is indeed the best of all possible worlds. Yet Voltaire says, listen, if this is the best of all possible worlds, what can the rest be? I believe that God agrees with Voltaire in the sense of saying that this world is not as it should be. This world in which you and I dwell is not the best of all possible worlds. Therefore, Christ came to redeem and save us for a place, right, by giving His life that you and I could be with Him in the best world forever and ever. I don't know about you, but how many of you know of a man or a woman, maybe someone you would define as a good person, that's experienced great heart, heartache or untimely death? How many of you have seen or experienced that in this world? Yeah. How many of you maybe know of someone that has experienced abuse, neglect, a day of daily lacking of food, shelter, clothing? How many of you know that? How many of you maybe know someone that this very day, this very moment, feels alone, forgotten, insignificant, wrecked by addiction, and maybe as Paul says in Ephesians 2, without God and without hope in the world? Maybe you know that person or maybe you are that person. Beloved, I think we stand unified this morning saying this is not the best of all possible worlds. And yet from the very beginning, back in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, when we see Adam and Eve, we have always been striving to get things right on our own. Adam and Eve there in the garden as they reached for the fruit and took and ate, right? As they, as they were eating of that fruit, they thought it would finally give them what would satisfy and yet what they were so longing after, right, to have this, to take and eat this forbidden fruit, it may have tasted sweet in the mouth, but it's bitter deep in our stomach. It's a reminder that the things of this world, money, power, sex, influence, pride, whatever it is for you, will never ultimately satisfy. And this morning, listen, this morning maybe we would come and just acknowledge that this world will never deliver. And I want to share with you today that Christ won, listen, Christ won what you could never earn. So keep trusting in Him. 
Christ won what you could never earn. So keep trusting in Him. Today, Isaiah comes as we come to the close of Isaiah's prophecy here in Isaiah 66. And we hear Isaiah, listen, he shared with us in the first seven or so verses of this chapter about the call to tremble at the Word of God. And we walked through that a couple weeks ago. And he said, listen, you're called to tremble, and yet so many folks weren't trembling at God's Word. Yes, they were going to the sacrifices. Yes, they were giving the offering. Yes, I'm coming to church. Yes, I put money in the plate. But inwardly, inwardly, where God looks at the heart, these people were not transformed. And God called these people as enemies. And so Isaiah was compelling us to tremble before the Word of God. And so this morning, we need to ask, where does the path of trembling, where does the path of submission to God's Word, where does it actually lead? And so this morning, I want to set before you this idea. The hope of heaven and the horror of hell. The hope of heaven and the horror of hell. Pick up on the wood, beginning here in verse 7 of Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 begins, verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Isaiah is setting something impossible before us, right? Look what he says here again, back there in verse 7. Before she's in labor, she does what? She gave birth, right? That's, that's not possible, right? Look what else it says here. Before the pain came, she delivered the son. So listen, he's saying labor without, or birth without labor, right? Delivery without pain, right? I mean, these are impossible things. And then he says, look what he does. He, he makes that argument to show us that something even greater is going to happen. Look what he says there in verse 8. Who has heard such a thing, right? Who's seen such things? And then look what he says here. Shall a land... Now again, this, this idea of birth happening again here again. So we have this idea of birth. Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth? Again, the birth language is used. Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Right? So he's saying here, listen, greater than a lady, lady giving birth without pain... Right? Greater than, than delivery happening right there without pain or, or, or birth without labor is the fact that, listen, how could a nation come to being in one day? Like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, poof, there's a nation. Right? And Isaiah's saying, listen, guys, the promise he's trying to build, right? Again, we, we don't necessarily have the background that the Jewish people would have. But they know, right, when they hear this nation coming to being, this out of nowhere seemingly happening, they know this is looking back to God's promise to Abraham or a man by the name of Abram who became Abraham and said, listen, as the descendants are, right? You, 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 listen, he didn't have a son or a daughter at that point. But he said, listen, as a descend, your descendants will become like the sand on the seashore, like the stars, what? In the sky. This man, his wife, right, were old. They don't have any children. Okay, and God makes this great promise to him. And he's like, God, how? I don't even have one child, much less. And I'm old. My wife's old. I mean, there's no possibility of this happening. And yet from this man, and as Paul says in Romans 4, as good as dead, God brings forth a nation of people. And listen, some of you know because you're part of that nation. It's a nation that extends beyond races and cultures and ethnicities and just tribal Jewish people. Now these scandalous people, most of you and I, the Gentiles. People, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 
and 12 who are without God and without hope in the world, these people are brought in. Why? Because the blood of Christ has brought those who were far away. He's brought them near. Near to God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, guys, I want you to know that this is happening. It's amazing. And you're wondering, how does this happen? Who can do such a thing? Look what he says there in verse 9 of Isaiah 66. Shall I, look what he says here, so this I, this acting one, right? God is acting. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? So listen, God says, listen, I'm the cause. Look what he says there further, says the Lord. Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? says, listen, this is not the power of you doing this. And we're going to see in a moment, even though I believe this ultimately looks forward and pictures the church. This is not the power of the church doing this in and of themselves. This is God giving birth to a people. This is John chapter 1, yet to all who received him. To you today. If you would believe on His name, John 1 says, you, God will give you the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human origin, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This receiving of Jesus Christ, God is causing and bringing forth a new nation. And so watch what happens here. The text says, listen, verse 10, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. That, and again, here's the response. Why we're doing this, that. Look what he says there in verse 11. Here's the reason why. So that, right? Depending on your translation. That you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. That you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. Look further. For thus says the Lord, verse 12. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Now again, listen. You've got to realize these are people that are going into Babylonian captivity. These are people that are driven from their homeland. The Babylonians come in and ransack the temple. They burn things down, destroy things. Their homes, their vineyards, their lives, their businesses. Most, many, so many of them are killed. Many of them are driven off, right? He says, I want you to know there's going to come a day when I'm going to comfort you, when I'm going to bring you back. There's going to be a day when what all the evil that you've experienced, I'm going to use that for good. Look what he says further, verse 14. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Right? Now listen, back here when you look in verse 12 or verse 11, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. The people knew what this looked like. Right? Because when the people go into captivity and Babylonian exile, there's a lack of food, right? As they, the great famine comes on, right? There's a siege and there's a great time in which there's no food. And so what you experience is, is that mothers can't even feed their own children. They know. They know what this imagery is. They've seen it. They've seen mothers unable to feed. They've seen children dying in their parents' lap, unable to do anything. And he says, listen, he uses that imagery to say, there's going to come a day, listen, when I'm going to turn things. I'm going to transform things, right? Listen, he says, I want you to rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her. Why? Because I'm going to turn the evil that you've experienced, the heartache that you've experienced in this life, I'm going to turn and use it for good. I'm going to change things forever and ever. Listen, I mean, can you imagine the day coming when you never have to hear, I'm sorry, it's cancer. 
Can you imagine, listen, some of you sat in that room, can you imagine the day that comes when you don't have to hear those words, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. Some of you, listen, can you imagine the day when you don't have to worry about that bully or that mean boy or girl at school that constantly picks on your kids or that issue that you have? Can you imagine just not have to worry about that anymore? Can you imagine, listen, the day that comes when you no longer have to live in fear? Will I end up with Alzheimer or dementia like mom or dad or grandma or grandpa? Or maybe some of you are there now with a spouse already. Can you imagine that you no longer have to live in those fears? This is a new world that's coming. It's a beautiful picture, right, of forever satisfaction. Listen, he says, you're going to be consoled. You're going to delight. Listen, there's going to be an abundance. Look what he says further to him there. Again, back in verse 12. It's going to be peace like a what? Peace like a river, right? We sing that song, peace like a river attendeth my way. It's, it's, it's rooted in passages just like this one. Listen, it says, listen, you're going to nurse, you're going to be carried upon her knee, you're going to bounce, there, there's going to be comfort, there's going to be joy, there's going to be rejoicing, right? There's going to be actually human flourishing, right? Things are just, he says, it's going to be amazing. You can't even begin to imagine, but I want to, I want to zero in on just one of these statements here. Look what he said back here in verse 12. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. It's an interesting statement. Why? Because throughout the book, Isaiah has constantly been challenging the people. Listen, guys, you're trying to go to the world to get your satisfaction. It's never going to happen. It's not. And the people know it. They have God's word. They have the prophets, just like Isaiah. And they're telling them the truth. And yet the people, instead of looking unto God, instead of ultimately us looking unto Christ, the people, right, we, we said that country western song a lot, they go looking for love in what? All the wrong places. And he's been warning them and telling them, listen, listen, if you go there, you will never, ever be satisfied. And it's going to cost you guys. It costs them. It costs them being exiled. It costs them being driven from their homes. Some of you, listen, you're going after wealth. Maybe it's illegally, maybe it's through dishonest means, but you're trying to pursue wealth at all costs. Some of you, listen, maybe it's not dishonestly or illegally, but man, it's costing you your family. I mean, you're just like you're laboring so intently after your own kingdom and it's costing you your family, right? Others of you, listen, maybe as kids here, you just desire to be part of the cool kids club, right? You want to be one of the cool kids and so because of being the cool kids means that you just got to make fun of other people and pick on them because of the way they look, right? We talked with the boys this morning at the table. We're in Luke chapter 6 right now. And the boys, right, we, we read there about the fact that Jesus says, guess what? You'll recognize a tree by its what? Its fruit. And I said, hey guys, listen, man, if you're at school and you got some kid that's constantly trashing others and he's disrespectful to every teacher and, and he's doing all this and that, I said, would you assume that he's a Christian? They're like, no. I said in the same way, right? If we go out and we pull an orange off a tree, we assume that's what kind of tree? An orange tree, right? And so we were talking this morning about you'll recognize a tree by its fruit. And he says, listen, these folks, listen, they had gone after it in every other way possible. And then this moment happens here. God says, listen, guys, if you will just look unto me, if you will just trust in me, right? If you will hope in me, I will get you what you've always longed for. That you could never ever get and grasp anywhere else. You may have held it like for a moment, like it'd be like water in your hand or, or like sand flipping through you, slipping through your fingers. But I want you to know that I can win for you. I can achieve for you what you've always longed for, and it's ultimately in Christ. Right? Because why? Because Christ won for us, right? He did for us what we could never earn. So keep trusting in Him. 
right? We've tried to earn it, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the treasures of the world. We can never acquire. But why? What? Christ comes and brings perfect peace. Why? Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with who? Peace with who? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5. Right? The peace that you've longed for, the hope that you've had of what's going to happen when I die, where will I spend eternity? That peace has been brought by Christ. Listen here, he talks about the fact that they're going to experience joy. They're going to experience happiness. Why? Because Christ came, guess what? And he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Why? Because he takes your place. He takes your suffering. He takes your shame. Ultimately, bearing the curse of the cross, he experiences your death. He stands before God as if he lived your life. So that by faith and by grace alone and Christ alone, you could stand before God as if you lived His. This is total transformation that's happening here. It's transforming. Listen, and so this is just a beautiful moment. It should give freedom to your life as you begin to trust Him. Listen, some of you, you're so desperately trying to find that one person that's going to make you happy. I mean, you're just, I mean, just constantly looking, right? You're Facebooking, you're on, I don't know what the little apps are or whatever, right? I mean, you're, you're, just, you're just constantly, right? I mean, I'll try Christian Mingle today, I'll try... I mean, like you're, just, like, you're just always hoping if I just find that guy, if I just found that girl, if I just had that marriage, then I would be happy. I want to remind some of you, listen, all of us ultimately, but some of you as you deal with singleness, I want to encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33 there, and everything else will be what? Added to you as well. Listen, for some of you, God's called you and given you, as Paul says in the book of Romans, the gift of singleness. And I want, listen, I'm going to be straight with you. That's not God's plan B for you. That's God's plan A. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you or why am I single? I must be, right? Why am I unlike these other people? That's just God's plan A for you. Why? And Paul says, listen, those that are single can serve in a different way than those that are married. Why? Because he says those that are married have their interests divided. They're worrying about how to please the spouse and they've got to take care of kids and all these. And God said, listen, I've given you this gift that you could better and more faithfully even serve me. So I want to encourage you. Listen, some of you, you're out there looking for your Prince Charming, this guy that's going to come. I'm going to tell you, he's already come and his name is Jesus, ladies. He is the one that will always listen to you, who will always care for you, will always meet your needs. So trust and hope in Him. This is transformational. As we look and see the glory of the nations are coming like an overflowing stream. Again, what they most long for other places, God says, if you will trust in me, I will give you what your heart desires. It's an important question we need to ask at this point. What is actually Isaiah even talking about or when is he talking about it? And I'll be honest with you, as throughout I have been throughout the time of Isaiah, Isaiah's hard. It's not, I don't think, definitively clear, but I think there's moments in which obviously contextually these people are looking forward to a day in which they'll be delivered, right, from Babylonian exile as Cyrus rises up and the Persians defeat, right, the Persians defeat the Babylonians and then Cyrus makes a decree sending them back, right, Ezra and Nehemiah, those books in the Old Testament are writing about that. So we have this hope. But listen, again, to think about a nation coming about in a day, like it's just birth happening, like, whoa. Acts chapter 1. How many people are in the upper room? Do you remember? One what? 120. Acts chapter 1. 120 people are in the upper room, right? Jesus has been crucified, buried, right? Raised again, seen and believed upon for a period of 40 days. He ascends back into the clouds, right? They're waiting, meeting, praying, looking forward. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And the day of Pentecost, do you remember how many people were saved? 3,000. Boom! 
In a moment, the Spirit of God, as Peter proclaims the truth of the Word of God, all of a sudden, almost seemingly overnight, this nation of people are just like everywhere scattered. Remember, there were people gathered in Jerusalem, right? Jews from all kinds of different dialects and regions, and they're going back now, taking the gospel with them. It's just this unbelievable moment. And then throughout the book of Acts, these scandalous people called the Gentiles, the people that don't have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people like us, outsiders. God says, come in! Come in, I sent my son for you. It's this unbelievable moment of God doing for us what we could never do. And so when we see Isaiah 66 here, looking about verses 7 through 14, we look and say, listen, yeah, that's got some absolute meaning for the people of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. But man, there's something even greater coming. And then we'd have to say even today, as we sit here in the midst of the church, we've got to look forward and say, you know what? If there's a day coming when there'll be birth, Right? And he uses that imagery of no pain in birth. We know that Genesis 3 and 16, part of the curse on the woman was is that God said, and I will greatly increase what? Your pain in childbirth. Isaiah uses that imagery to say to us that there's coming a day, according to the Word of God, that the curse will be removed. Why? Because there's a curse bearer and His name is Christ. This is a beautiful, hopeful moment, right? And so it compels us, according there to verse 10, to come and be united with the church. Come, have joy in the church. Come, rejoice with your church. Come, be be a part of the church. Be glad in her. Be excited about what God is doing in the church. It's an amazing picture, right? And, And so we need to ask maybe now, as we see this happening, how will folks become a part of this? How will people come to experience what Isaiah is writing about here? What's God's plan to build his church? Look with me if you would here further in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. So again, there's a time that's coming. Again, it's, it's about gathering. And notice he notes all nations and tongues and they shall come and they will see my glory. Okay, so they're going to see the glory of God, right? The time's coming. Again, this, this, this all nations, all tongues, this attacks at our heart of racism in us that thinks it's only going to be white people or, or whatever your ethnicity is that you think is supreme. This attacks at that to say God is designed for all nations, all skin colors, all ethnicities. They're going to come. They're going to see my glory. So again, if you've got that heart of racism within you, you've got to deal. That's not the heart of the gospel. That's not the heart of your God. Repent of that. Confess that. Look what he says further, verse 19. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. Did you hear that? God's going to send survivors to the nations. Look what he says here. To Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow. To Tubal and Javon, to the coastlands far away that have not heard. Look at this. Look what he says. Here's who it's going to. That have not heard my fame or what? Seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. He says, listen, I'm going to raise up and send a people. Listen, this isn't just for missionaries. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for spiritual people in the church. This is for you, beloved. God is raising you up to send you to the nations. To take the gospel to people. To share the hope of the gospel. Africa or India. Listen, God may be using you right now in that fifth grade classroom. Just to be faithful to share the gospel right where you are. He says, listen, there are people that have not heard my fame. There's people that have not seen my glory. And look what he says here. 
This beautiful moment, verse 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Again, there's just this hope, right? This new heaven. We have this new earth language that's being used again by Isaiah. There's something new coming. He's looking down the horizons when all people, right? All flesh... It's an interesting statement we're going to deal with in a moment. She'll come to worship before me, declares the Lord. I want to compel you. Listen, you've got to share the gospel. I shared Wednesday night briefly, but uh, a little while back, I'd, uh, I was up one night. I just, out of nowhere, God just, you, you ever like struggle to sleep? God places somebody on your heart. Like out of nowhere, like that's so strange. Like maybe it's an old classmate. Maybe it's just somebody, you know, an acquaintance, a friend. Out of nowhere, I was struggling to sleep and God just places this person on my heart. And I knew, I, I see this person maybe every few weeks or so, run into them. And so I said, hey, God, if they're there tomorrow, if I see this person, I, I want an opportunity to share the gospel. Guess what? You think that person was there? Absolutely. You know what I did with God? Try to make another deal. God, June and I can go to the restroom. we got to wash our hands real quick. If that guy's still there when we get out, then I'll share the gospel. You ever do that? Come on, you ever, I mean, struggle? Guess what? We got out of the restroom. He was still there, right? I mean, come on, we feel that way, don't we? Like, oh, no, like, what's the next deal, right? I mean, it's like, let's make a deal. And God's like, Blakey's there, man. And so I just walk up, and I was like, hey, listen, man, this is pretty random, but last night I couldn't sleep, and you were on my mind. That's an awkward way to begin, right? Like, okay, a little freaky, right? Had a relationship, right? Probably wouldn't do that with a complete stranger. Um, but nonetheless, right, that's kind of how the conversation began. And just began to share the gospel with this gentleman, see where he was spiritually. We talked a little bit about going to church and just challenging him to get committed, get connected there. And so guess what? All week had just been praying, inviting others to pray, pray. Saw him again this week. And you know what the first thing that went through my mind was? The first thing Satan kind of just baited me with? Blake, you already said last week, dude, you're going to run this guy off if you open the conversation again. You already talked enough, just don't, right? I, I get that sometimes from people. They're like, like, Blake, you're too pushy. I get that. Some of you may feel that way, right? It's just kind of the way God's wired me. And so I said, all right, man, I won't say anything. God, you know what God did? The Spirit just brought up to my mind this very passage you're going to hear in just a moment, verse 24 or so. He says, Blake, that man is going to stand in eternity soon, maybe 60 years from now, maybe 30 minutes from now. And you're going to regret in that, that day not being obedient now. And so just followed up, right, with how was he doing spiritually? Had he been connected to the local church that week? I, I want, I'm encouraging why, because I want you to see that this going, this sharing the gospel involves us all. It's going to involve awkward moments, moments when you've got to overcome. Now listen, by the power of God's Spirit, you must overcome. I am weak like you. I struggle like you. I try to make deals with God like you, right? Sometimes I wish that it just wasn't there. That door wasn't open before me. I, I struggle. I'm weak. And we must, beloved, listen, we must depend upon the Spirit of God. We must call other believers. Join with me in praying for this person. Pray also for me that I won't be afraid when that moment comes. I won't shrink back from doing what God's called me to do. He says, listen, that's what he's doing. He's sending the church to spread the gospel with the nations. And so we see this beautiful hope of heaven and all that's coming. And you would think, man, that's a great way, right? That's a way to end the movie. Like they walk off in the sunset, happy ever after. And then Isaiah ends with this, verse 24. Listen to this statement. This is, this is how Isaiah ends his prophecy. 66 chapters, and this is how he ends it. Listen to this statement. 
And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. In a split moment, Isaiah, who has just given us the hope of heaven, gives us the horror of hell. Several things about the horror of hell. He's already talked about it briefly back in verse 15. First, listen to this judgment. He says in verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come in fire. This judgment of fire, it, it is an intense judgment. Jesus says, right, they have this imagery of Christ with His eyes of blazing fire. Why? Because fire, it, it'll penetrate. It'll burn things up. It'll burn the garbage up. You, listen, you, you're going to have the facade today. You can have the church membership stamp today. You can have your Bible here today. You can have all the right sayings down. You can know the songs today. And your heart can be unredeemed. And God sees too. And He says there's going to come a judgment of fire. It's going to burn off all your fake, all your mask, all your pretending. If that doesn't cause you and I to tremble, to run to the cross, Christ have mercy on me. Look what else he says here again about this judgment, the horror of hell. His chariots like the whirlwind. Again, the chariots, it's just a suddenness, a power, a whirlwind, right? Can you imagine like, uh, uh, can you imagine a cornfield today standing to a tornado saying, bring it on. And yet here we are to a holy God and we're like, bring it on. I don't need you. I don't even know if you even exist. I don't need, I, like I can just stand against you as I am. He says, listen, I want you to know the horror of hell, the judgment of God is going to come like a whirlwind. Look what he says further. To render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter judgment. Listen to this statement. This is, this is hard. And by sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be what? Many. And those slain by the Lord may be your children. And those slain by the Lord may be your grandchildren. And those slain by the Lord may be the person on your left or right right now. And those slain by the Lord may be you this morning. This is, this is an intense judgment. And it's, 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 it's intense. It's sudden. It's powerful. Listen, and it's got vast reach to it. And so look what he says here again. Let's back to this verse 24. And they shall go out and look. So the they indicates, listen again, we had this statement back in verse 23. So we're going to talk about it. Look at he says, he talked about that new heaven, the new earth coming. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Does that mean at the end that all dogs go to heaven? All people must be saved? Is this some universalist teaching? Is that what Isaiah is saying? That all roads actually lead home? Doesn't matter whether it's through Buddha, Muhammad, right? Through Christ, Confucius, whomever, right? All roads lead home. Listen to what he says here again. Listen to how he clarifies this as he ends. Verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. The they is clearly, again, this all flesh indicates those that have all people that have been redeemed. And they go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have, that's what they do. They've rebelled against God. They're experiencing the horror of hell because they have rebelled against God. This is, this is challenging. Right, but as we think about being baby dedication Sunday, as parents, listen, we must compel our children and discipline them that they would not rebel against us. It's hard. Listen, I, listen, Emily and I, we don't get it right. If you're around here very often, you notice that our kids don't get it right a lot. I got one standing on the balcony right now looking over the rail. Hey, babe, love you, man. There we go. Right? 
Our family's not perfect. My kids aren't perfect. They'll tell you real quickly their dad's not perfect. If they get honest, they might say their mom's not either, right? Um, but listen, the, the temptation is, is guess what? I want to count to three, count to 15, count to whatever. Like, don't do that, don't do that. You know what that happens, though? Is that it really means the first time I say it doesn't mean anything. The only thing that really matters is number three. And listen, here's the struggle I have with that. I struggle with it, all right? So listen, this is not saying I get it right every time, but I struggle with that, right? When I, when I have that temptation because I just get lazy and I don't want to act and like get up and handle the issue. What I'm teaching my children to do is to realize that what dad says doesn't really matter. And here's the danger in that. Is that it comes to a place that when God says to them, put the porn off your iPad, they're like, oh, I'm okay, just a few more. Right, then the moment comes when God says, don't cheat on that. The Spirit says, don't look at your paper on that, on that exam. They're like, I'm all right, right? When the moment comes and God says, listen, you're going to Changers this year. I'm, I'm leaving you, I'm leave, moving you to Oklahoma, right, to go with the crew to Oklahoma. They're like, I, I'm not sure. I get... We're teaching our kids that it's okay, right, as they rebel against us. We're, we're allowing them to learn to rebel against God and say, God, listen, maybe when you count to three. And again, I don't get it right every time as a parent. I'm telling you, I don't. But I, I, I'm compelling my boys. And one day my little girl, listen, I want you to learn to obey mom and dad the first time. Why? Because children obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. But I want you to learn first time obedience. Why? Not ultimately so you will obey me, but so you will learn to train your heart to obey the living God. Because there's going to be so many moments in life when he says something and you don't want to do it. But now, today, if you will discipline yourself, and today, that's why, listen, I'm putting you in time out, or this discipline's coming into your life, it's because I love you, I want you to obey me, I know, listen, by the Word of God, what's actually good for you, and I'm trying to guide you in that path. So I want to compel you, listen, it's hard, but as we think about baby dedication, I want to compel you to that end. Why? Because, listen, beloved, those who rebel against the living God will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I've said it before, we don't take our kids to sin camp to teach them how to sin. They're rebels just like you and I are. We must compel them to be obedient to the Word of God because rebels will experience the horror of hell. So there's a judgment. It's exclusive, right? There's people that are, some people are in the kingdom, others are not, right? They have to go out and look at them. This is hard. And then this statement, right, this eternal pain. Listen, we might ask the question, are people just annihilated, right? Like if you die and you don't believe in God, then maybe just go into the ground and like your body just ceases and you just like, you cease to exist. You ever wondered that? Well, the Bible has something to teach about. Look what he says, verse 24, 4, right? This is where he's grounding his argument of what he's just said. 4, their worm shall not die. The worm in, in biblical imagery indicates spoiling and decomposition, right? And it says the worm doesn't die. It indicates that those who are in rebellion live in this continual state of rebellion against God, continually becoming more and more depraved, more and more in rebellion against God, right? They're not consumed. Look what it says again. The worm does not die there, right? There's a sense in which they continue to live on. Look what else he says further. Their fire shall not be what? It's not going to be quenched. Did you hear that? The fire is not quenched. It's not going out. Why? Because they don't cease to exist. This is a hard teaching. But listen, some of you, listen, I was like, God, it's going to be hard today. Lord, this is baby dedication. He's like, Blake, do you not think there's so many people that you will preach to that are headed to that very place? 
Some of you kiddos, listen, you're coming to that point, that age, you know the truth of the gospel and yet you're refusing it. Some of you are grown up and you're still refusing it. This is the truth of God's word. Listen, what I say today doesn't make it any more true or less true. It's true because it's God's word. You've got to wrestle with this. This is your eternity, beloved. The word of God and God has sent his own son, Christ, to die to save and spare you. Man, this is hard. And maybe some of you say today, you know what, Blake? I, I don't really like that way of talk. I don't appreciate that very much. Then you've got a bigger issue than what I think. You've got an issue with the master himself because Jesus, when he talks about sin in Mark chapter 9, listen to what he says, beginning in verse 47. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Listen to what he says in verse 48. Where their worm does not die and what? The fire is not quenched. He just quotes from verse 24 of Isaiah 66. Jesus believes that Isaiah 66 and 24 is true. He just takes it and he quotes it word for word right there. Warning. He just spent time warning about the danger of, guess what? If your eye gets hooked on pornography, throw the iPad away or your phone away so it won't hook you. If your hand is caught stealing or doing whatever, right? He says, cut your hand off, right? Get away from that. You may have to walk away from a job. He says, it'd be better to lose your job than walk in there as you are, pockets full of richness into the, the hell of this whore of hell. But you... It, God, open our eyes today to see it. Please, God, open our eyes. I mean, listen, I got to go on and on. I, man, no time's here, so I want to... There's a, a Canadian theologian. His name is Clark Pinnock. Um, you say, well, what's he matter? Well, in 1967, he wrote a book on the defense of biblical infallibility, saying that this Bible is actually God's Word and it's without error. The reason why it matters specifically to you is because it had a huge impact on Baptist, Southern Baptists, and what's called the conservative resurgence. When they began, the Baptist churches, right, many of them held the fact that this wasn't truly God's Word, and they began to question, was this part and that part, and right? And so it's kind of like you start cutting and pasting. And so God used this man to write and say, listen, this is actually God's word. It had a huge impact, 1967 forward. But I share his story to let you know that over time, Clark Pinnock began to regress from his views. And listen to what his statement is about specifically hell. How can Christians possibly project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include inflicting everlasting torture upon his creatures, however sinful they may have been. He's like, how could Christians, how could we believe in a God like that? Who wants a God like that? And here's the question I think that we all need to wrestle with, and it's this statement right here that he makes. However sinful they may have been. Right? Is eternal torment, is it a fitting response to sin? And today, listen, we need to ask, is God just? Is He right in judging eternally our sin, sending us place of everlasting punishment? And listen, beloved, today we might need to concede this hour that it's not God's view of sin that needs to change, but ours. You may need to concede this hour. It's not God's view of sin, however sinful. You think people aren't that bad. Maybe this hour you need to concede that your view of sin doesn't square up to God's view of sin. And that's where Clark Pinnock was there. I don't have time today. Maybe you'd write down Revelation 14, 10, 11. It speaks that there's no rest day or night there. And it compels, it calls for endurance of the saints to keep the commandments, warning us, listen, the danger of hell compels us and warns us to remain faithful. 
in light of baby dedication this morning, maybe just a couple applications. I think, listen, as parents, we must recognize the seriousness of eternity. We must recognize that where we want our children to end up is in verse 22 and 23 and not verse 24. And yet, let's be honest. This past week, I don't know how many of you watched the Champions Classic, but guess what? If I want one of my boys to one day walk out there on that floor on a Tuesday night and play before all the nations, guess what? We're going to do a lot of practice. We're going to have a lot of discipline, a lot of commitment. I don't know about you, but maybe you want your child someday to, to play the saxophone and you hope that they might walk into the Vienna Philharmonic. And you might say, well, hey, where's my kid's seat at, right? Where are they going to sit? Or maybe, listen, maybe just more practical. You think in a few weeks on a Sunday night, you want to walk up and just bring your kid up and say, hey, my kid's here. What's the lead in the play? They're going to have it. We'd all say, that's crazy. Very few make it to many of those stages ever, no matter how much discipline and practice. But we know it takes discipline and practice. What's my point? Some of us are hoping that our children spend an eternity in heaven and yet training them to go after everything else in the world. And we find ourselves shocked or surprised when they desire and delight the things of this kingdom rather than the things of God's kingdom. It's going to take discipline and commitment to have your children in the Word of God, hearing God's Word here, as you heard the challenge of David and Elizabeth, in your home. I don't know about you, but I, listen, I, Emily and I can't get it on our own. I need other people in this church helping me raise my children and point them to Christ. So I need my kiddos here. If I'm really serious about it, right? I mean, we, we go to ball practice on Monday. We practice in the yard, right? We try to do guitar lessons. We, we work it on academic team. I'm serious about all those things. Am I serious about that enough for the eternity of their soul? So what's most, what's number one in your life? We just got to ask that question. Verse 19, he said, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. How might a child do this? Well, one way your child might do it is by giving weekly, right? Maybe they could save up some and give. Maybe they'll be a part of Operation Christmas Child here uh, next Sunday night. Come and help pack boxes to send the gospel to nations. Teenagers, listen, if you've completed seventh grade or above, I want to challenge you to pray about being a part of changers. Some of you, listen, you're homebodies. I get it, right? I'm a homebody. I struggle with that. I just This is embarrassing. I went to my first camp. I left home. I made it like one night. My mama had to come get me. Just, just being honest. I took a friend with me. He ended up being camper of the week. All right? That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. All right? I probably felt sorry that he came with this guy that invited him and left. All right? As a mama's boy, daddy's boy, whatever. Some of you are just wired that way. You have a hard time leaving home. I get it. So here's what I want to compel you. This year, changes is in Greensboro. You can sleep in the high school. Mama and daddy can come by and see you at dinner or sometime. Right? It's a first step for some of you toward missions. Again, taking this glory to the nations. You're going to start with a first step. Some of you, again, I want to compel you. Oklahoma's coming this summer. Pushing you toward that end. Others of you, listen, opportunity to go missionally. I don't have time, but maybe you just write this down here. Uh, go, G-O, two years dot net. It challenges every college student to spend two years after graduation investing in a church plant here in North America or in the world. So I want to challenge you as you think about it. Some of you are there because you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what you're going to do next. I want to compel you to take seriously this call to take the glory among the nations. Man. Guys, we've had 47 plus sermons, roughly 28 hours of your life. 
And Isaiah leaves us with this question. Where will you spend eternity? You've heard 47 sermons over 66 some chapters. We spent roughly 28 hours walking through Isaiah's prophecy. And Isaiah stands now today and presents before us a door. A path to eternal life that is found only in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath of God that you and I as rebels could be made clean and forgiven. But if you reject Jesus Christ, I want to be clear, real quick, just all eyes here. I know it's been time. I get it. But your time's going to come for eternity too. If you reject Jesus Christ, I want to be clear with you so you can't stand before God and say, I didn't know, I hadn't heard. If you reject Jesus Christ today, there is no other offer of forgiveness and salvation. So Isaiah stands with the Word of God, the prophecy of Isaiah, and says, where will you spend eternity? The hope of heaven or the horror of hell? Today, will you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved? Would you pray with me? Father, please. I pray, God, please, that you would speak, you would draw. Father, I pray now. I've got children in this congregation, Lord God, who I know are coming to that place. Father God, would you open their eyes? I know the God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel who is the image and glory of God. So, Father, I pray now that you who are greater than the God of this age, you are greater than Satan, you are greater than demonic forces. Father, I pray now that you would cause the light to shine the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. I pray, God, for men and women in this congregation who, have, who are in rebellion against you at this moment. Father, I pray today that their hearts were softened. Your word is like a hammer in the hard places of our heart. Father, I pray today that the grace and the mercy of God, that Christ who experienced the horror of hell on their behalf, Father God, today that would move them to come under that precious blood of Christ and be forgiven. Father, I pray you would move hearts today. Please, God, for your glory, the nations, God, could be reached. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.